Koshian Cast, the podcast so powerful that it takes over your body and controls your movements. My name is Matt, and joining me today is a very special guest, Matt. <laughs> Hi, Matt. Hey, what's up? Uh, Matt, did you know that it's the fifth week of the fall anime season, and we're going to cover every sports anime that aired between October 29th and November 4th? All three? Yeah, exactly. All three, <laughs> and a little bonus for you. Um, Basically, the epi- the show we watched to kind of get ourselves through this. Exactly, yeah. It's a real... Big Wind-Up is a real palate cleanser. Um, anyway, I don't think we have any big announcements, but I've heard that you've got a question for me. I do, Matt. Uh, this is from uh, Matt Canelli. You know what? This joke is old. I'm just going to ask the question. Um, so Matt, uh, do you have a favorite fast food restaurant? Oh. Yeah, probably Culver's. Oh, okay, interesting. Um, so I mean, I, I live in Iowa, it's sort of, a, and Culver's I believe is a Wisconsin brand. Um, right. But I never really, well, I rarely eat fast food when I'm at home, but whenever I'm on a road trip, for some reason I crave Culver's cheese curds. Oh, okay. Um, so I'll usually get that. I will say the only other time that I get fast food when I'm at home is sometimes if I'm, like, running from work to class or something and I don't have any time, I'll spin through the Taco Bell drive through <laughs> And I only ever get one thing, and I'm going to tell you my ultimate and only order right now. Okay. Uh, I get three soft tacos with beans instead of beef and a cup of water oh okay uh that sounds rather cheap i have to say yeah it's cheap and also it's just like not you know gross because like it's it's literally just a flour tortilla refried beans cheese lettuce and water i'm like okay like if i'm eating at taco bell like this is probably the best way to go Yeah, yeah, my answer was going to be Taco Bell. Oh, really? Well, it, it still can. <laughs> Not, oh, no, go ahead. Uh, sort of. Uh, like, if I have to, like, if when I think about the fast food place I go to most often nowadays, it does have, it would probably be Taco Bell, weirdly enough. And it's strange, because I never ate Taco Bell before, like, two years ago. I and then say. everything Maybe, changed. And then everything changed. And the funny thing is, I know it's not good food. There are better Mexican restaurants, like... Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, like, all around. I But I can't help myself, uh, weirdly enough. What's your order? Uh, I always get the... I always get a quesadilla. I get either the double dia, which is no longer provided, which I devastatingly learned just uh, earlier this week. Mm. Uh... So, but they do have a new crunchy uh, quesadilla, which is what I have gone with now, especially because they have a box deal. Uh, we are not uh, sponsored in any way by Taco Bell, by Dude, the way. Yeah, as <laughs> if. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. It is just kind of a funny coincidence, but yeah. I, Dude, I, I have to tell you, I recommend the three soft tacos with beans instead of beef. It's a, it's a real winner. Um, <laughs> next next, t- next time you go, give it, a sh- give it a try and like let me know what you think. Uh, maybe give it a ring? What? Because it's a bell. You know what? Uh, can, can we talk about how March comes in like a lion? <laughs> uh, oh, okay. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Got it. Um, okay, so March comes in like a lion, episode 26. This episode picks up with Hina bursting into dinner. Uh, it is, as we suspected from last week, she's starting to get bullied. 
effectively what happened is she stood up for her childhood friend Chiho, who was a subject of bullies. In defending <coughs> her, Hina herself became uh, a victim and started getting bullied, and she becomes scared to go to school. She becomes overwhelmed with the anxiety of getting bullied. Uh, but despite all that, she's sure that she did the right thing in standing up for her friend. Um, so Ray swears that he's going to look after her and help her. Uh, and her grandfather congratulates her on her good work and says that she did the right thing. Right. Um, I would, I'm kind of mixed on this episode, believe it or not. Um, I don't believe it! (laughs) Okay, tell me why. Uh, so, on one hand, it was, it was very emotionally powerful. I will give them that, like... Because, you know what, honestly, when the grandfather was telling her that she did the right thing, uh, I did kind of tear up somewhat. Like, yeah, that was I, a I great scene. Yeah. yeah, that was a great scene, because, like, it's so, like, a lot of anime kind of touches upon this about, you know, the big bullying problem that takes place, that's kind of going on in Japanese high schools because of the fact that, like, you're kind of encouraged to not, st- because it's too, it's almost more dangerous to stand up to it than it is for, like, to just, like, actually try and do anything about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's kind of nice to actually see, like, an adult, like, just back her up and say, you know what, you did good. Like, that was the right thing to do. Like, you did not do anything wrong there. Um, I did think, though, that it was just a little bit almost overwrought. Yeah, it was um, a little after-school specially. A little bit, like, because almost every scene has Hina, like, breaking down into tears. And, I mean, on one hand, I get it, you know, she is a middle school student. Is she high school now, actually? No, she's uh, middle, She well, she's the equivalent of ninth grade, but she's in her third year of middle school. Okay, okay, so yeah, she's in middle school, so, you know, obviously this is, like, the biggest de- thing that could ever possibly happen to her, so I get that mindset, it's just, you know, kind of as an adult, it's like, okay, I get it. You're sad. Yeah. Like, I know it hurts. I'd say overall it was a pretty strong episode, though. Uh, but I, I did... I've never been big on March Comes In Like a Lion when it's, like, too overwrought with its emotions. Well, I don't know if that's fair, because I we like the Ray's backstory stuff. I mean, that's fair. I mean, that is fair. I guess my thing is, I wish they had done more... Something a little bit just more interesting with Hina than just having her sort of keep breaking down. It also is a little disconnected from the rest of the plot. You're sort of... It feels like we're kind of on an island of plot right now. And, I mean, Ray seems to say that this is so important to him and that you know Hina has saved him and has changed his life but I'm not totally sure what he means by that oh okay so that was actually something about the episode I did like a lot okay um so you know I think the entire point of this setup about the ladybug bush and everything because Ray was kind of looking back on his own life about being what being bullied right you know he's kind of wanted to get to know people but he's never really been quite sure why uh, you know, he's kind of made some friends, but, you know, at the same time, 
he's still not terribly trustful of a lot of them. I mean, shoot, like, Nikaido has never left him in, like, Ray. you know, you know that Nikaido would always have Ray's back no matter what. But, you know, Ray's always just kind of constantly annoyed with Nikaido, you know. Sure. You know, there's a lot of small, like, situations like that. Or, you know, he's never really had, like, a peer, like, close to his own age or anything like that, where he really felt like, this is somebody who I feel like would really have my back when push comes to shove. Okay. Um, and I think when Hina announces, because, you know, he sees somebody who is being bullied, you know, who is kind of going through what he did, but her, but she kind of came to a different resolution uh, than what he did because his, you know, his ultimate conclusion was, I'm just going to stay out of it. I'm just going to let it run its course. I'm just going to isolate myself and it won't be a problem yeah. anymore. I'll just make myself invisible. Yeah, essentially, and that was kind of his resolution to it, so that way he wasn't bullied anymore. Uh, Hina is uh, the first person to ever say to him, you know what, what they were doing was a real crappy thing. Even if she doesn't say that directly to Rey about his situation, like, even though, she, like, even though she's now suffering a lot because of it, she understands, but she still is not backing down from what she did. And I think that's what's important to Ray to see that somebody can actually have that kind of strength. Mm. And that's and that's what I took away from that when he was saying, you know, she is like my savior because now he sees, oh my god, like people can actually like there are people out there who actively decry this as like a terrible thing and not just tell me to like keep my head down and like don't put yourself out and like you know tell me telling me not to put myself out there because mm -hmm. it's like when it comes right down to it it's your fault like no hina like is standing her ground here even though it sucks even though she is hurting she is not like she is not like she doesn't think what she did was wrong and i think that's what's important to him yeah no it's fair i mean the that's the one thing that connects beyond the plot itself is the parallel between how people react to bullying and whether they accept the status quo. Right. Um, I'm not really sure where you move forward from this, though. I think this is Ray. Like, we've seen Ray slowly get more and more involved with their lives. It, this struck me as kind of a parallel to when. Uh, Hina sort of went out on her own to uh, kind of have herself a little cry. Uh, on I, it was like during a festival day where her parents were uh, like like where she was reminded about her parents' death, and you know you know she kind of puts on the small fr the strong front, but then she kind of goes out on her own. Race decides to follow, and she breaks down and cries. Uh, I kind of saw this as a parallel to that because in that episode. Uh, Ray just sort of stands there dumbfounded, being like, I really shouldn't be getting involved. Like, he kind of stays with there with her, you know, kind of lets her have her cry. But he doesn't actively try and do anything for her. In this episode, he actually goes out of his way to be like, I'm going to spend tomorrow with you, okay? Mm -hmm. Like, we're going to go out. I want to show you a couple things. Like, I'm going to try and do what I can to help you move past this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that that was sort of the parallel I got there. Yeah, yeah. I thought I thought it was interesting that he just said like, "Okay, I can't stop bullies. I can't go to her school, but right. I can give her something else to focus." Uh, on. This is also the first time we've ever seen him really intensely 
angry because he even mentions like mm. I want to go to that school and I want to rip those people to shreds like yeah. it kind of caught me off guard like because Ray is not like even like when he's upset he is not like violent yeah no because he's always least. it's always self-loathing you know right but this was the first time that you know he's really like like really kind of let his emotions out himself uh like, beyond just sort of despair. Like, this is just rage. Well, that and the first encounter with Goto, I think, would be the only other two times. That was kind of more like a quiet... Ang- oh, you're... I, yeah, you mean when he was first met him, like, when... With Kyoko, right. basically. Okay, yeah, no, that's fair. So this is kind of the second time, then, mm-hmm. when he's sort of, like, let his emotions run wild... The first time, though, with Goto, though, he got kind of punished for it. Because yeah. he's like, yeah, you think you know everything? Like, you don't. Mm-hmm. You know, he kind of got beat down for it. Whereas this time, he kind of... Not really rewarded for it, but he kind of understood, like... These emotions are maybe... I don't know if even normal, but, like... There's this sort of understanding there. Like, I need... Like... This is a new experience for me. And that that's not necessarily bad. Hmm. Yeah. No, it it was it was good, and it was I mean, at the very least, even though I'm not sure how they'll use it moving forward, it was it it was a decent standalone story. Um, oh yeah, definitely. You know, uh, go ahead. Uh, is this the first time we've also had a story told by from the perspective of somebody else? I there was the Mister Smith episode, mm-hmm. uh, but I think this is this only the second time we've ever had an episode not from Ray's perspective because. We got that brief interlude with uh, Hina. Yeah, as the narrator. Yeah. Yeah, as the narrator, which I thought was kind of interesting because we don't, because this is the, this is definitely the first time we've ever seen, (coughs) excuse me, the uh, perspective of somebody else's perspective of Ray. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, actually have him be this sort of kind figure, you know, it's like Ray does not see himself like that, like at all, you know, he just thinks he's just sort of like... You know, he's kind of putting himself out there. You know, he kind of doesn't want to step on anybody's toes, but, you know, he, he's never really quite sure if he's doing the right thing. But uh, watching it from Hina's perspective, like, yeah, no, this guy is actually, like, comforting me in, like, one of my darkest moments. Like, he's really just, like, this really nice guy. Yeah. Which I thought was kind of, it was an interesting look on the matter. I agree. And, you know, no matter what you can say about whether it was the best episode, it was definitely more interesting than what we saw in welcome to the ballroom (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna defend welcome to the ballroom slightly here there were a couple of interesting moments not anything big but yeah you're right it was less bad it was less bad but you know we say that a lot anyway you know why don't i just summarize the episode do it um so this was episode 18 uh 18 yes thank you (laughs) Uh, this was mainly just covering the first round of the uh, the tournament that Tadara and Shinatsu are in. Uh, they go through, they kind of get, they manage to get full marks on the first heat, which, you know, lets them go on to the next round. Uh, at first they seem like they're getting along, but then they start to argue a little bit because uh, Shinatsu is very frustrated with Tadara being a coward. Uh, this seemingly has an effect on their performance in the second round. Uh... At at first seemingly negative, but then it actually turns out to be okay for them, because Tadara seems to finally be able to express himself with dance. Um, Also, the other four dancers are there, so Gaju, Mako, uh, Shizuku, and Hyodo are there watching. 
Uh, at first they think that it's bad that the two are still constantly fighting. Hyodo is the only one who seems to see it differently because he does see it as Tatara finally able to actually fight and express his own opinions, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's largely the episode. Yeah, I have to say, I I wrote very little down yeah, on this episode. Not a lot happened. Yeah, it, it felt like there was a lot of repetition of... You know, them, them saying, like, oh, look, they're, uh, you know, Chi, uh, Chinatsu and Tadara are arguing, but it's good. And then you see that, like, five more times, them arguing and it being good. Uh, and you're like, okay, so they argue and it's <laughs> I got good. it. Right. Um, the one highlight for me was they had this little interlude with uh akira's partner mine uh who's oh he's the the larger dude with the scar on his face um and he just has a little conversation with tatara between rounds and they're like oh so is your family here and he's like oh well nine i used to dance with my (laughs) wife but then she you know had kids uh, and you know we had our daughter and so she stopped dancing with me but like i couldn't give it up so i still enjoy doing it and he just seemed like a super regular dude and just a pretty pretty nice guy who sort of did this on the weekends for fun um and then to have them walk in it, it, it it's not like he's a major rival or a major character but i liked the fact of humanizing him because his character design makes him seem less human um <coughs> right well because he's he seems like he's supposed to be more of a caricature of like a yakuza member yeah essentially and so it's not uh, it's and... not like groundbreaking that the dude with the the like the massive muscular dude with the scar over his eye is actually a very nice and humble gentleman uh right but uh, considering the standards for this show is still pleasant <laughs> that's fair i actually did take notice of that uh moment i did actually kind of like that entire sequence where like all of the family members like show up yeah you know we also get to see some of uh chinatsu's family mm-hmm. you know it's like okay you know this is kind of this great moment you know she's got like a lot of younger brothers and sisters uh you know just sort of like nice little moments like that or uh the the fact that uh akira's father shows up as well you know he's the reason why they all came you know it was, you know, I got a quick laugh or two out of, you know, uh, out of uh, Akira's partner showing up, like, his family showing up. Yeah. You know, I kind of got a laugh out of that. Like, just a small one, but... Mm. Uh, I did like a couple of the moments between Chinatsu and Tadara again. Uh, I-, I thought, at the very least, they had a little bit more chemistry than what they've been having recently. Uh, like, I I really don't buy the two of them as, like, a couple at all. And that's kind of a problem because this entire series is based around this thinly veiled idea that these characters are actually, like, quote-unquote, like, oh, it's like, they're sort of, like, uh, hiding behind the fact, like, these are romantic partners, yeah. even though they aren't. The, but, the dance relationship is supposed to signify a real relationship. Right. and But, you know, this is the first time I've ever thought that they've actually kind of... This is the first time in a while, you know, at least since they were introduced, that the two of them have felt actually, like, a team. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, like, small moments. Like, I love this one little moment of animation that they have there when they're looking at their uh, their ranking boards and they see that they get max... That, you know, that they got full marks. And they kind of do, like, this fist bump in the... Like, they kind of do this fist bump together. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, okay, I like that. You know, hey, they're getting along, kind of. Mm-hmm. 
Like, you know, they're they're having fun. They're kind of, they're maybe not in sync, but, you know, they're actually, like, interacting with one another positively. Yeah. Which was weirdly refreshing for me, considering how much of their relationship is just them fighting all the time. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's like, I, I like those little small moments. Uh, their fighting didn't seem quite as pointless this time. I, I don't, maybe pointless isn't the right word for it, but... It felt a little bit more natural, maybe, is what I'm saying. It was based on something other than just declarations You're wrong. Yeah, like, you're <laughs> wrong. No, you're wrong. And that sort of thing. Yeah, no, they're actually having, like, a discussion about their dancing and kind of getting heated with one another. Mm-hmm. Like, that's fine. It's still... But, you know, I keep watching the series and thinking it's going to be more interesting than it ends up turning out to be. Um... And so, I, I know that any goodwill that it builds up in one episode is just going to be dropped immediately afterwards. Mm-hmm. So, I, I don't know. I don't have a lot of expectations going forward. Dude, but you know what? I'm going to take. Not. Of course. Yeah, but you know, it's like I'm going to take these small moments when I can. Yeah, you got to take them. Uh, the other thing, unfortunately, we have to take is watching Two Car. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Matt, do you want to tell me about episode 5? I don't, but I'm going to tell you anyway. So, episode 5, Nagisa and Izumi are still fighting. Uh, They end up having a small discussion where Nagisa just decides, "Uh, Okay, I'm sorry after all. And Izumi's like, okay, cool. Well, we can go back to racing. And then they challenge uh, Yuri and Megumi to another race. And, uh, they end up still losing, but, uh, there's one important part of this race, I guess, you know, uh, (laughs) where they end up, uh, Izumi and Nagisa end up taking a turn too sharply in a desperate attempt to get in the lead, and they end up getting knocked off the road instead. They both turn out to be fine, but it ends up shaking Izumi a little bit, because she realizes how much her life depends on Nagisa, uh, and then the two man- get back on the racetrack, and they manage to actually save some time, but they still lose to Yuri and Megumi. Um, oh, there's also a small backstory on them where apparently uh, Izumi saved Nagisa from a biker girl. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I guess! Yeah, it's... So, can I tell you the, the, the thing that is really getting me about this show? Of course Go I can tell it. you. That's what I'm here for. Um... <laughs> It feels like the show is simultaneously trying to tell a very cliche plot. Um, so, so that well, that I know the the story is right. trying to tell a cliche plot, but some somehow the the show is aware the plot is cliche, so they're telling it earnestly, but then they're also commenting on how cliche it is. But they're not backing off from telling it. Right. It's been a technique that's been popping up in anime recently. Uh, RE Zero was kind of famous for doing this last year, where the where the main character kind of comments like, "Oh, I know this because it's this cliched moment from this mo- from uh, from this type of story, from this like transported from another world story." Ha ha! I'm so clever because I recognize that, and people watch it and are like, "Oh wow, that's really interesting!" Like, ha ha! This series is in on the joke. Mm-hmm. Except it's still just playing out as normal. Like, the, just the fact that it calls itself out on it, but then proceeds us to actually continue to take it seriously, it doesn't really work. Yeah. Um, 
I should mention as well before, I don't know if there's actually anybody who watches RE0 who's actually watching this. Uh, I have only, I have not seen the second half of the series, which as I hear is the good half. So Well, whatever. Um, I mean, it, it's still, it's representative of the fact that if right, somehow that's... anime learned that you're allowed to do whatever you want as long as you acknowledge it. Right. You have to do it ironically. Yeah, right. but, but that's, that's the thing. So, the there's a couple elements of that in this episode one being every character recognizing that nagisa and izumi are in an abusive and unhealthy relationship yeah yeah and telling them hey you're in an unhealthy and abusive relationship oh well yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like it's like they just i mentioned that i actually took note of that it's like so they literally just tell her yeah, she's like an abused spouse who keeps going back to her husband because she's nice to him sometimes. Or, yeah. he's nice to her sometimes. She's probably going to end up with, like, a really bad guy. And then the conversation's over. That's it. Mm-hmm. It's like, so are we just supposed to accept that of Nagisa? Like, I mean, admittedly, I don't really like her, but at the same time, I don't want to see her end up in an abusive relationship. Yeah. And, and I, I don't know. This show... I think it really just... Going along with that thought, I also want to just point out, this is the fourth episode out of five that has had a hot spring sequence. Yeah. Um, Yeah, it's going to be the majority. I mean, because that's where they do all their talking. Yeah, I'm pretty sure every episode outside of the first one is going to have a hot spring sequence. Yeah. And the reason I bring that up is because the series wants to pretend that it's more interesting than it actually is by having these sort sort of, like... Uh, sort of wink-wink, nudge-nudge conversations between the characters. Like, they want to point out, it's like, oh, that's really silly. But then when it comes right down to it, like, you're watching, like, here's the hot spring sequence. Here's another one. Like, please don't lose interest, guys. Like, Mm -hmm. oh my god. Yeah. Um, It's also strange that the subplot isn't over. Like, this subplot of, hey... They have an a, like a an unhealthy relationship that neither of them can extricate themselves and is not like fulfilling to either of them. Uh, let's stretch that out for th- what is next week going to be a third episode, which is going to be twenty five percent of the plot will be spent on <laughs> this terrible sadomasochistic relationship. To what end? I kind of thought that it was resolved this episode, though. Well, uh, I, no, because that that's the thing. It, I, I think they're still going to come back to it because, what, so Izumi never really resolved the fact that she was worried about hurting Nagisa. Um, and they both sort of fixate on that dream that they both had, both had? Uh, but they never resolved that or addressed like how Izumi is going to regain her confidence or like how they're going to settle their differences or if like they're gonna somehow bring up that weird dream they keep having like I'm telling you it's not over like they they haven't finished with them they can't just leave them there because when this show is done with a subplot they loudly announce it (laughs) and they have everyone comment on how nice their relationship is now so you'll know okay i guess that's fair um i also want to point out as well like there's that moment in the hot spring sequence 
where Izumi is sort of bragging to the rest of the girls, like, yeah, I broke this off. And everybody is talking to her normally. And it's like, is nobody going to just acknowledge the fact that she just beat her friend? Yeah. And they're like, and well, like, you know, passengers are gonna passenger. Like, what the heck? Yeah. Like, so, and all these people just keep treating this as if, though, it's just so totally normal. Yeah. Yeah, just just high school girls never going to school and racing at high speeds and shutting down the roads for a week. It's just it's, and it's, then we get like our three minutes also with the with the oh apparently with the lesbian couple as well. Yeah, which again, like if they were in- talk about pointless. Yeah, if they were integrated into the plot in any way, that would be fine. But literally, they're just being used for three minute segments in the middle of the episode to break it up into halves. Where they sit and talk about their, like, the closeness of their bond. But, uh, haha, they don't actually have that close of a bond. Yeah, I mean... It's the most confusing show. I mean... Is it it confusing or is it just lazy? That's the thing. (laughs) I think it can be both. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's not it's like it has because it's lazy. Yeah, it, right. I thought what you meant is like, oh, what's the show trying to accomplish? What's its greater end? You know, right? And I don't know, sell merch because that's the thing. Because I don't think that they can ever fully resolve the the dominant submissive relationship between these two girls mm-hmm. because this entire show is designed around selling to quickly selling merchandise to like lonely otaku, right? Oh, so they don't want to so, actually have them be in a healthy relationship because they already fit within a trope? Yes, exactly. And they're trying to sell merchandise specifically to people who are into this sort of sadomasochistic relationship. Mm-hmm. Like, this sort of pairing. Mm-hmm. So they can't ever actually, like, resolve that or ever actively call it that unhealthy. Oh, man. They if be... they really don't follow up on this at all, that will be kind of crazy. Yeah, no, and I guarantee you they will not. Oh, wow. Well, I... I, I... Okay. The, the, <laughs> now, for the first time, I'm interested to see what happens next week, then. Um, but uh, can we just leave that behind and talk about a good show? Yeah, please. Talk about Big Windup. All right. So, it's Big Windup Season 2, Episode 3. Uh, this pretty much kicks off the uh, the game against Sakitama. Um, in... Uh, before before the game, they have a coin flip to determine who will bat first. Uh, Nishira ends up losing the coin flip, but Sakitama wants to bat first, which is unexpected. So in the top of the inning, uh, Sakitama grounds out quickly. You know, they're not able to get the bat around on any of Mahashi's pitches. In the bottom of the first, uh, Nishira is able to score twice um, by a combination of bunts and steals and uh sort of managing to trick their way and throw off sakitama's routine uh to get a couple runs on the board in the top of the second uh once again nishiro is able to prevent (coughs) sakitama from scoring because their biggest hitter daichi uh mihashi just walks him they intentionally walk him they don't even give him the opportunity to swing and that totally demoralizes the side. And then in the bottom of the second, once again, Nishira is able to score. Uh, and at the end of the episode, Mahashi is going to have the opportunity to stand in the box and swing for himself. Right. 
Um, pretty solid episode all around. Uh, I actually, I rarely say this about Big Windup. I thought the most interesting part of this episode was actually Hanai. Oh yeah, no, I totally agree. Uh, so real quick, so after so they managed to get two runs on the board, uh, largely because they have Hanai run a squeeze play, or Momo has Hanai run a squeeze play. Hanai is actually kind of relieved about this because you know he's kind of nervous about being their uh, their cleanup batter at being in the uh, fourth position. Yeah. Uh, and well, uh, let me just I... interject and describe oh, what a squeeze play is for the record. Um, oh sure. A squeeze play effectively means that if there's a runner on third base and there's less than two outs, then the batter will drop down a bunt, so they'll hold the bat out in front of them. They'll just let the ball drop on the ground, and as the pitch comes in, the runner on third will start running, so that by the time the ball is uh, bunted, the runner will almost be home, and they won't have any opportunity to tag him out um oh, okay so you you do that basically in order to you know you can get someone across the plate without having to hit the ball out of the infield um right so if you do a bad bunt you can mess it up like if you bunt it too hard or if you bunt it straight back at the pitcher or if you don't bunt it far enough and it's too close and the catcher can grab it or if the runner doesn't you know start running soon enough it's really easy to mess it up but if you do it if you execute both sides perfectly it's really hard to catch them and in this case Hanai put down a good bunt um and he was able to get the runner across right so basically what was going on here is you know Hanai was kind of nervous at first but he was kind of relieved when he heard that it was going to be a squeeze play but when he got back to the bay uh, when he got back to the dugout he was still a little bit like you know am i it's like, yeah, you know, I'm glad we got this run and everything like that. And Tajima just sort of approaches him and is like, are you really happy with that? Like, in a weirdly, like, un-Tajima-esque moment. Mm-hmm. It almost. seemed antagonistic. Yeah, almost. Um, and I think what they were getting at there was that, and I mean, I say I think. Sears actually kind of makes no uncertain terms about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that uh, th- what's going on there is Hanai's realizing he's not really the star like he's always wanted to be the cleanup batter but when he's actually put into that position he's not really fulfilling the role yeah he doesn't want it as much as he thought he did he doesn't want it as much as he uh thought he did not only that but momo uh also did not actually like no she she's the one who ordered the squeeze play so she doesn't actually fully trust hanai in that position well that like, that's if, not clear because that's his internal monologue Right, so which is true. He he is inferring that, well, maybe maybe she would have told anybody to do a squeeze play because it was just the most reasonable right. play to make at that time. He's like, yeah, it's not because it was me. It's just what made sense considering the situation on the field. And he's like, or it means she doesn't trust me to be able to actually... Because if, if, if I'd been able to hit it to the outfield, we could have still scored a run and I wouldn't have been out. So if she had trusted me to get a big hit, you know, maybe this means she doesn't trust me to get a big hit in a big moment. Uh, right. So, yeah, I like the fact that, and, and Momoe hasn't clarified, you know, she doesn't see it as her, as needing to right. address that fact. And it kind of comes down to a lot of Hanai's own insecurity, because, like, what this is really getting to is, like, his own insecurity about Tajima, because Tajima is kind of his rival, mm-hmm. essentially. You know, he's kind of seeing it like, 
the only, like, if Tajima was still in this position, would he have gotten the order to go right. for the hit? Right. Um, and that's really what it comes down to. Because, you know, Tajima's just this amazing hitting prodigy, prodigy essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I really did like that moment with uh, with Hanai. Yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to see where this game goes. I'm, I, and again, because I, I have no idea where it goes, I'm going to theorize that this is going to be the game where Nishira legitimately dominates. Uh, right. I don't think that this is going to go down to the last inning like the last few games did. Um, I think this is going to have... It's going to raise some questions about, like, different (coughs) roles on the team and maybe show some growth for some of the characters. But I think, as much as anything, it's going to be about Sakitama and about how they react when they're totally overwhelmed. Because, you know, the games they've been playing have been high-scoring games where they're able to win in the end through grit. Right. Uh, But if they get completely shut down, what's that going to do to their team? So I think this is going to be as much about showing, I I think, a parallel. Because Sakitama is a very similar team to Nishiura. You know, they're a really small squad. They're sort of an upstart. They have one real prodigy on their team and everyone else is trying to support him so when that prodigy in this case daichi is unable to hit like what are they going to do are they going to self-destruct and does that show sort of a reflection on what could happen to nishiura if they were put in that situation so i think that's probably where it's going to go right uh i also kind of see this as being this sort of conflict about the evolution of baseball uh, we had you kind of told me about this this one uh, about this one time uh, about you know everybody has this idea of baseball you know it's sort of you throw you have your bit you have the best pitcher going up against the best best batter and you kind you kind of have this sort of classic showdown yeah. effectively yeah um people don't like it when the more effective strategy is to actually like actively avoid that sort of confrontation yeah. Because when it comes right down to the mechanics of the game, it doesn't really support that sort of moment. Yeah, this uh, this happened th- um, last year in act- in like real baseball. Uh, there was this crazy series. Um, I watch a lot of Chicago Cubs baseball, um, but there was this crazy kind of tide turning series last year when the Washington Nationals were uh, in Chicago. And uh, the the most famous and probably the best hitter on on Washington's team, one of the best hitters in the world, is a guy named Bryce Harper. Um, and in that series, uh, the Cubs basically just decided that the the hitters, the other hitters in the lineup, weren't good enough to support Bryce Harper, so that so they would just walk him at every opportunity. Right. I mean, so he got walked, I think five times in one game. Um, and you know, he, he was <coughs> frustrated by it. Uh, some other, a lot of Washington fans were frustrated by it, but Chicago ended up winning the game and it was a really big series. Uh, but it worked. And that, that was the thing is like, nobody got to see the best, one of the best hitters in the world face the Cubs which everyone wanted to see. They wanted to see what he could do, but the Cubs just said, no, not interested. Uh, we're, <laughs> we want to win. We're not, you know, right. we're not here like, to that's... have the, the coolest right. showdown if it means we right. might and lose. 
And I think this is what that series is actively showing, because on one hand, it is showing how it actually works, like, in Nishiura's favor, because, you know, that is why they don't actually have to go up against, uh, you know, the be- you know their big slugger, mm-hmm. essentially. Uh, but at the same time, it's also kind of showing how it's kind of hurting them a little bit, because Hanai does kind of want to be that sort of batter, you know? He kind of wants to play into this tradition of being, like, the powerhouse hitter. Yeah. Even though the more effective strategy is to basically just sacrifice him and just take the run. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're, you're right. It, it, is, it is kind of an interesting conflict between what's, what's the most valuable thing in a baseball game it's saying like does it matter how you win or just whether you win and there are some characters who are clearly advocating like i don't care what it takes as long as we're not breaking the rules whatever we do is fine as long as we win um whereas like you said hanai probably would is gonna feel a little uncomfortable with winning this way Right, because he wants to win the classic way. Yeah, yeah, he wants to prove that they're the strongest and that there's no asterisk on it. Right. Um, yeah, so that's that's interesting. So there will like I I am positive Nishiro is going to win. Um, right. And I don't think it's going to take as long as the Tose game by any stretch. Right. I think I kind of hope it doesn't because this isn't. I like this game. It is not interesting enough to sustain an entire season. No, no. Like it's the not. Tose game it's was. Not. I mean, they wouldn't have had that first episode with the Bijo coach if they weren't going to play them. Um, right. <laughs> so I, I think they'll they'll get a second game, and I think probably in the next episode or two, this game will be over. I think things right. will start to accelerate. Definitely. Um, but anyway, it was fun. Uh, there were some really good shots. I, I like the way that the show is designed i just yeah it's 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 incredibly fun to watch and it's really hard to stop watching at the the kind like <laughs> that, that's the thing because i know i could keep watching episodes i i really feel tempted to with this show um with uh some other shows we're watching i don't necessarily feel like i need to know what happens next <laughs> uh march comes in like a lion yes but everything but the other two no yeah no a solid no but anyway (laughs) matt thank you for joining me once again uh absolutely i will talk to you next week later our logo design is by james ratcliffe the theme music is fly high by burnout syndromes covered and performed by luke bartka you can follow koshiencast on facebook youtube and twitter and our email is koshiencast at gmail.com make sure to subscribe rate and review We'll be back next week with the best and worst from the world of sports anime, and until then, keep training.